1: Welcome to Let's Get Real on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host, and it's good to be back live after a short hiatus. Sorry about that, but I'm back. I'm back for good now. So uh, what did you do this morning when you first got up? Think about it. Stumbled into daylight, maybe found your way into the kitchen. You probably made some kind of stimulant-filled hot beverage. Then what? Breakfast? Did you eat breakfast? You should, you know, but that's another show for another day. After the caffeine and maybe the eating, did you poop? And relax. I know it's personal. Maybe it's not very polite, but seriously, this is a show about food. So did you poop? I mean, for me, like after one sip of my daily English breakfast tea, I'm running for the can. I think that's why they call it English breakfast tea. Um, And if you did poop, where did you do it? Well, of course, that's a stupid question because this is America and we all have indoor plumbing now and sewage systems and wastewater treatment plants and all that. So our poop just gets like magically whisked away and we don't even have to think about it ever again. Like one flush and it's gone. Never to be heard from again. And that's good because there's so many of us living here now on this planet and we live in urban environments and we would literally be swimming in our own shit if we didn't have those systems in place. And I mean, Jesus, think about it. You know, if we really ate shit, which a lot of us do, and then shit out the shit, we would all just drown in our own shit. Shit. And so it's a good thing that you're actually all listening to this show because you don't want to eat shit and get sucked into that vortex, do you? But I'm digressing or regressing, whatever. The point is that, of course, we all pooped in our tidy little bathrooms at home. You know, maybe you read The New Yorker while you did it, if your brain still functions, or maybe if your brain doesn't function You updated your Facebook status or something while you were pooping. I don't know. And you flushed it away and you went on with your day and that was it. You know, Uh, modern life. So civilized, so sanitary. But if we were living on this same land here, say, 10,000 years ago or even 5,000 years ago or even 300 years ago or even 100 years ago in some places, we could have just basically pooped wherever we pleased. Just, you know, drop a trow or drop your loincloth. I guess you'd lift your loincloth and just let it go. And seriously, the irony of that is not lost on me that there are no public bathrooms in New York City and you can't go anywhere except Starbucks now that we're civilized. You know, now we're civilized and you can't find a place to go. But a few hundred years ago, a few millennia ago, the, you know, the hood was your toilet. You could go wherever you want. You know, now we're hopping around, crossing our legs, trying to hold in while we futilely search in desperate need of relief. Back then, you would just squat down behind the nearest shrub. Don't worry, the whole show isn't about poop. I'm getting to the point. And, you know, it's not like people just like went right in their front yards, you know, or beside their rustic primitive kitchens. They They knew what they were doing. They had latrine areas. The latrine areas away from the food, away from group areas, away from... You know, they knew, even back then, even our most primitive ancestors knew, not to shit where you eat, where do you think the expression came from? They weren't dumb. Actually, in some ways, they were a whole shitload smarter than us. (laughs) They knew how to engineer their food for maximum flavor and nutrition, which is something I'm getting to, before things like Labs and Unilever and IHOP, So these people who weren't dumb, who were not shitting near their food, they knew or basically figured out gradually that if they ate the foods that they liked when they came upon them, when they stumbled upon the ripest fruit and ate it, that when they then pooped it out, newer versions of those foods would miraculously spring forth from the spot where they had pooped them out years before, you know, because the seeds passed through them. Do you get that? Like if they came upon an early almond tree, like not here because almonds don't grow here, but in the original Fertile Crescent, which is, you know, where we all come from, not the Fertile Crescent that now we call Park Slope or Chelsea or the Upper West Side, different kind of fertility, the Fertile Crescent of the Middle East. That almond tree would have some pretty tasty almonds on it, but it also had some really super bitter almonds on it. And they would be bitter because almonds are actually where cyanide comes from and Almond trees originally had both bitter almonds, which were poisonous, and sweet almonds, which weren't. It was a genetic flaw in the almonds. The bitter ones had the cyanide in it, so they would taste them, and if they were bitter, they'd spit them out, and they wouldn't get chewed up, and they wouldn't pass through us. But the sweet ones they would eat pass through us. Almonds were much smaller then, so there was a chance you'd swallow one without chewing it up. And they'd pass through us, land in the latrine piles, and then maybe a few... Months later, some of them would germinate. They would sprout. Then the group would move on. They were nomadic. And then a few years later, maybe they drifted back there, and there was an almond tree growing there. And every time this cycle repeated, there would be fewer and fewer bitter almonds on each tree because they were basically genetically engineering, and that's called selective breeding. And that's what made our ancestors figure out how to do it. And then that's what led them to invent agriculture. They were smart, and they knew how to maximize the traits they really wanted from their foods, Like sweet almonds, bigger, juicier fruits, riper fruits, better vegetables, even with animals. And this was really smart. And it's what we should remember and be really proud of in our smart ancestors. That's where I was going with the poop, by the way. I'm done with that now. So they were basically creating the first engineered foods. Working with nature's forces together to create something better or different. Like corn, which actually started out just as like a weedy grass with no ears on it. didn't have the big ear. It only had like a couple little seeds, right? Corn was like not what we think of as corn today. Corn is a completely manufactured by humans food. Corn was engineered by us over thousands and thousands of years to become what it was, which was this ancient, powerful empire-building food staple in Central and South America, that's what it was, to its current incarnation as the vehicle of our human demise that it seems to be turning into. You know, back then it was the staple food that built the great Mayan and Aztec and Incan cities of gold with calendars and all that shit. Now it's the foundation of our big gulp corn puffed pirate's booty corn and soy, animal feed, Paula Deen style, obesity, and diabetes-filled empire of foodiness. So it's kind of lost its charm for me, corn, except a good ear of sweet corn, of course. And I do like a good tor- corn tortilla once in a while, but that's different. Anyway, we've certainly come a long way from those fresh air, free pooping days of our glorious past. And in the process, we've learned to harness nature and all of its real food glory, engineer it to make it smart and work for us in its most nutritious real way to over-engineering it into some of the dumbest least smart food we've ever seen or eaten on this planet. And it's making us more stupid, fat, and sick than we've ever been. So we're kind of really coming around, aren't we, we humans? So if real food was already smart, right? Our real food, we made it. We got it to a point where it was super smart. It did exactly what we needed it to do. It sustained us. We were healthy. So if real food was already smart, then why do we need things like smart food or better choices or smart ones or options and all that foodiness nonsense that the foodiness industry keeps pumping out? Food is smart. Foodiness is stupid. And the smarter they try to make foodiness, the stupider it becomes. I don't even know if stupider is an actual word because I've become too stupid to know that. And the stupider we become because we lose the ability to recognize real food or know what to do with it when we encounter it. It's that freaking foodiness firewall, again, blocking us from access to what's real. It's keeping us lost in that cyberspace matrix of enhanced and added and better and smarter and telling us we have choices As far as I'm concerned, the only choice you have to make is food or foodiness. So now, let's step out of our past. Let's leave our relatives, millennia, ancient people, pooping on the ground in their almond trees. Let's leave them behind. And let's talk about the future. Or, more precisely, let's talk about the future as it was kind of presented and sold to us in the sci-fi movies and TV shows of our collective childhoods. So, do you remember when the Flintstones met the Jetsons? I thought that maybe I had, like, imagined this or dreamt it, but it's a real thing. Flintstones met the Jetsons Jetsons, early on, some early season. But then there was also a Flintstones and Jetsons movie, apparently, in the 80s, which I must have been, you know, too stoned to pay attention to or something. But... The Flintstones meet the Jets. Now, this could have been then, or it could have been something to do with Gazoo. Remember when the Flintstones met the great Gazoo, who was this little alien? I'm not sure which one, so just bear with me. This happened, I don't know in which incarnation of the show. Anyway, they go into space. Fred and Barney and Wilma and... What's her name? Betty. They go into space and they go to some restaurant in space and they sit down in the restaurant and they order off the menu and they order things like roast beef, corned beef and cabbage, you know, the things that people ate in restaurants in the 60s. And then the waiter comes and of course the plates are covered in those silver cloches because that's how fancy people ate back then. And the waiter lifts the cloche and on each plate is a pellet, a single pellet. And that pellet was the entire meal. And that left a very, very strong impression on me as a child because I thought, well, that's not going to be really enjoyable just to eat that pellet. That's not food. It implied to me that food would be removed. I'm sure it implied to everybody, that's what they were getting at, that food would be removed from its messy, earthbound trappings and be simplified into a tidy, sterile pellet form in the future. Or like the food on Star Trek, If you watched Star Trek, I hated Star Trek, but my mother loved it, so I had to watch it with her. But I'm talking about the early Star Trek, the first few years. In the first couple seasons, they just ate these, like, kind of multicolored, geometric-shaped chips. Sort of like Soylent Green, like these plastic things. There was no need for real food in the future or in the cosmos. Since science and technology promised us a world where food was so smart that it wasn't food anymore, And we wouldn't even actually need to eat. Basically, the premise behind all the futuristic sci-fi renditions of food was that food would be improved upon, that it could be improved upon, and that technology would do the improving. The hidden unspoken premise there is that, of course, real food is, is dumb or stupid, and that we could eventually just rise above it and beyond it and not even need it anymore. That real food was simplistic, Foolish, earthbound, primitive, even. And despite ten thousand years or so of agriculture and selective breeding and real food, along comes Gene Roddenberry and Arthur C. Clark and all those guys who portrayed futuristic, improved foodiness, like in two thousand and one, a Space Odyssey. And now we're all eating basically soil and green. So as I've said before, the soil and green we're eating, may not yet be made out of people. Not yet. But it's more like eating shoes. Think of it that way. The point in the 20th century sci-fi was that in the future, like in the 21st century future, we would be eating manufactured food that was scientifically better than food. Not eating shoes laced with artificial fiber and calcium that tasted like candy bars, which is how it actually all turned out. Because that's really what foodiness is more like. And I bet that, like, General Foods and all those big food companies were actually in on it. I bet they teamed up with the Hanna-Barbera people and said, let's get our agenda across, but we'll couch it in this, you know, Stone Age kind of world, so people won't think it's actually happening. They were in on the, like, sci-fi predictions of improved food somehow. It was like how the U.S. Army and Hollywood were kind of in bed together during World War II to create all these movies that were about the war and promoting the war. General Foods was probably saying, let's make them think that earthly food is stupid and dirty and backwards, and then we can sell them on the foodiness stuff like veggie puffs and protein bars. And then they were rubbing their hands together like Montgomery Burns. So we bought it because Kirk ate it and Fred Flintstone ate it. And in 2001, A Space Odyssey, they ate it too. And in that, it especially looked really cool. So cool and so clean and so efficient. And they had those waitresses with those like amazing bubble shaped hats and little tight uniforms who came out with those trays with the pictures of food and they would just point at what they wanted. And the replicators would just make it materialize out of thin air right from a machine. And it was so cool and so futuristic and so scary and so actually happening now. Only now it's not new and improved. It's new and completely fucked up instead. It's like everything else. There's no spaceships, no aliens, no beaming. We're not actually flying. We don't have any of that stuff except the cell phone. We don't have actually smarter food. I mean, geez, the future actually really has turned out to be kind of a letdown in a way. Except for the iPhone. So the idea was that a lot of mainstream sci-fi was getting across. The, the idea that they were getting across was that if food came in a package and was sterile and easy, it must be better, right? No more dirty fingernails in the dirt, no more cooking, no more cleaning up. Emancipation, freedom, break free from these earthly bonds. Kitchens and raw meat and roots and skins and preparing food with heat was seen as caveman-like, whereas little colored shapes that materialized from a box in the wall was civilized and efficient and better for us and progressive. The assumption was that James Tiberius Kirk and the Jetsons were getting perfect nutrition from their futuristic foodstuffs that real food could never dream of delivering. But what the future has actually brought us is just junk food that's disguised as food pretending to be smarter than food. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back. Hey, Erica. Yes. Stupider indeed a word. Thank you, Jack. We'll be right back.
0: The following program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery. Kane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit wwwcane 5com
1: Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. It kind of always makes me like, kind of gives me the chills listening to that. It also sort of makes me want to be a figure skater and do my, like, routine to it. Anyway. Uh, Let's get back to the present. Back to the current, back to the now. So, remember, there's food. The apple. There's junk food. The apple jacks. And then there's foodiness. The organic, apple-flavored gummy bear. It falls in between. It's how you make the junk food seem like real food, and that's the evil genius of these so-called smarter foods. They make us think that smarter equals better. If we can make food smarter, then we must be really dumb for eating the original, stupid us, eating food instead of foodiness. Silly rabbits, don't eat plants, eat pellets. So instead of scientists in labs scientifically designing food that was even more nutritious than real food, they designed gummy bears, made from corn syrup and gelatin, but add in organic apple juice concentrate and synthetic vitamins so that if we eat nothing but junk food but think of it as a smarter choice than apples or regular gummy bears, then we're okay. And, you know, the harried supermoms on Adderall pushing their strollers down the street while they're talking on the phone and walking their dog at the same time will buy them for their chubby, overcoddled, pre-diabetic tots. So the moms can take those tasks off their list of, you know, cooking for their kids or feeding their kids. And then those tots, after they get out of the stroller, can graduate to a system of foods. A system. All based on corn and soy-derived ingredients and all interlocking and interchangeable systems. And you know what I realized? That now what we're giving kids is food geranimals. Do you remember Garanimals? They were little outfits where you matched up the tag so you never wore mismatched clothing. It was a system. So you didn't really have to think or learn about like colors and patterns. It's food Garanimals, No thinking required. And then get them hooked on that so that little, you know, little toddler junkies all hooked on that. And then they can graduate to like easy-to-hold, sparkly, shiny, kid-size, fun-shaped syringes filled with insulin, with Mickey Mouse and Muppet Babies printed on them, so that you make being diabetic fun. So the smart foodiness rabbit hole leads to the disease rabbit hole, leads to the pharmaceutical rabbit hole, which leads to the wheelchair rabbit hole, which leads to the jaws of life, mega gastric bypass rabbit hole. And thus, we have the beautiful circle of modern life. It's not exactly smart, is it? And it all starts with smart foodiness. So just like smartphones have made everybody dumber because we don't even know how to read a map anymore. We can't figure out where we are. We don't need a dictionary. We don't need a library, a library. We don't even know how to find the library anymore. The more smart food you eat, the dumber you get. And by dumber, I don't just mean intellectually because you're not getting the nutrients you need to think properly. I also mean the more gullible we get. Smart foodiness hasn't just made us all dumb, it's turned us all into chumps. How else would you explain something like the Real Housewives phenomenon? I don't need a healthier choice or a better for me sticker on my food, which is what Walmart's doing now. They've decided they're going to put a sticker on the food that is better for you, according to Walmart, of course, Walmart's guide to better for you. I don't need that. Don't tell me what my options are. I've got foodiness blocking goggles on. And I can see through the foodiness firewall. But it's not easy. The goggles get foggy. Please, believe me. Even for me, especially when I'm really hungry and I'm not home, they get foggy. And the same goes for you. If you're eating real food, you have your foodiness blocking goggles on. You don't need smart food. An orange or a head of broccoli or a chicken breast doesn't have healthier options because they aren't healthier options of what is already maximally healthy get it food is already smart so it's like we humans worked and worked for millennia to make our food great super nutritious delicious real insect resistant naturally without chemicals we didn't need we didn't need chemicals and for about 500 years we got it like totally right we were doing really well by cultivating and selectively breeding plants and animals to produce better food for us, bigger, sweeter fruit, naturally resistant plants, disease resistant, healthier, bigger animals, all without chemicals or hormones or steroids or antibiotics or Monsanto or anybody like that. And then science stepped in and chemical engineering and war and the industrial revolution and we screwed it all up. Food was already smart, but how to use up all the leftover chemical technology of war's? add it to food and call it smarter and who better to market to to dump it all on kids if the Flintstones traded in their Brontosaurus burgers for corned beef pellets then maybe we should too now lucky for me I also watched a lot of Little House on the Prairie which I've talked about on here many times you know I was a Little House on the Prairie geek so I watched Little House on the Prairie not just the Flintstones and their food always looked a lot better to me. So I kind of followed their model, which meant I like to eat popcorn in bed, which is what Pa... Did you notice that at night they would show Ma and Pa in bed? They were never, you know, having sex because it was a little house on the prairie. They were eating popcorn instead. It's like what I do in my house. <sighs> so I followed their model. They were smart. They ate what they could grow or kill or hunt or fish or forage, you know, within a few miles of their little house there on the prairie. And you can too... In your local Mega Mart, you just need to know where to look and how to avoid the foodiness traps. So the best tip, stay away from the center aisles. You've heard this all before. Hunt, forage, harvest, fish, the edges of your store. That's where the real food is. The real food, like vegetables and fruit and fish and meat and milk and eggs and dairy is all around the edge of the store. Organic, local, sustainable, holistic, free-thinking, biorhythmic, self-actualized, Rosicrucian, Scientologist, Freudian, Wood-everian or not, it's still better to eat real food than foodiness. Don't let them tell you otherwise. The most industrially raised, corn- and soy-fed, factory-farm chicken is still better for you than the processed, packaged, frozen, pre-digested, organic chicken nuggets. That the foodiness industry is trying to scam you with by putting the word smart on it. And if you can find an organic whole chicken, then you have seriously won the game against foodiness. You get the gold medal. You win. And it's not just food, of course. There are rows and rows and rows of drinks out there now telling you that they're better than water for hydrating you. What's better than water for hydrating you? Giving you peace peace energy, inner calm, wisdom, stamina, mojo. It's all a big load of shit. You don't want to eat shit, right? So why would you drink it? The solution to that, of course, you've heard this before from me, just drink the damn water out of your tap. It's already super smart. Filter it yourself to get out any lead and any junk that's in there. And drink it from there. It'll be better than bottled water or sports drinks or green tea, corn syrup drinks or anything else. I don't need some plastic bottle telling me that what's inside of it is smart or will make me thin or happy or wise or horny or calm. If that plastic bottle of water and corn syrup and dye was really smart, actually smart, It would be able to speak for itself and tell me in English or any other language of my choice to drink it. A really smart bottle of water is one that actually has a brain and a mouth and can talk to me. And that is way too scary to even contemplate. That goes beyond the Jetsons and Star Trek to where I'm hiding out in my foodiness fallout shelter shaking on the floor, waiting for the end to come with a huge bag of bitter almonds. And so when that happens, I'm leaving. I'm done with this planet. Beam me up, Scotty. There's definitely no intelligent life left here. We're going to take another short break. When we come back, we'll finish it on up. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. That was hilarious. That sounded like if you had a wedding in 1982 and you had your wedding band play the theme from Star Trek. It would kind of sound like that. If, and if it was like a disco theme wedding and the people getting married were both big Trekkies.
0: Or the Let's Get Real game show theme.
1: Or the Let's Get Real game show theme. Could exactly. be that. It could. We should do that. So anyway, if you're a fan of Let's Get Real, and if you're listening, you must be a fan, um, remember that you can always, always, always listen to any of these shows and any other Heritage Radio shows, of course, on the Heritage Radio website, but they're also all on iTunes. And you are techno-savvy people, so you know how to use iTunes. So you can go to iTunes and you can download any Heritage Radio Network show that's ever happened. You can also visit my website, which is letsgetrealshow.com, and you can read my vlog, which is my foodiness blog, and you can leave comments. No one's leaving comments on my site, and I would like your comments. Please leave comments. So you can read my vlog. You can check out some uh, recent media stuff I've done, and you can watch my speech from Occupy Big Food again if you want a good laugh. You can also find Let's Get Real on Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. So you have a lot of ways of getting Let's Get Real into your life. I'm out there. I'm here. I'm here for you. Many ways. So anyway, let's just think about it this way. If you see the word smart on food packaging, it's like when someone says to you, I'm not trying to hit on you. It means that they're trying to hit on you. So if it says smart, it means dumb. And as I pointed out before, some areas of food are harder than others to get real about. It's hard to find a real egg, but it's easy to drink real water. This one's another easy one. If you want smart food, just eat real food. It's very simple. So simple. And all—if if all of this sounds too complicated, and there are just too many rabbit holes to keep track of, and they don't make a rabbit hole GPS app for the iPhone, so you don't know how to make sense of it all, let me just simplify it for you thusly. Smart food is to real food as a real housewife is to Meryl Streep. Discuss. So that's about all the time we have tonight. I want to thank my amazing research assistant, Belinda Rodriguez, my co-producers, Chris Nutter and Jack Inslee. And I also want to send out a big congratulations shout out to Alice Marcus Krieg from We Dig Plants, another Fine Heritage Radio Network show, who gave birth to her son, Alden, Yay! a few days ago. So big wet kiss from all of us here to you for that little baby. And uh, we're just about out of time. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.